So if you're at Romans 3, say, I'm there. Awesome. I just want to give you a quick recap. We can still do this because it's early in the book. Chapter 1, Paul's goal was to tell us, first of all, that salvation, the gospel of God brings us salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? After he established that in verse 16 and 17 of chapter 1, it felt like he's been beaten up, everyone in the room. <laughs> he says, let me tell you what sin looks like. And he went through this list of those who would suppress the truth. We'll say those that reject who God is and reject his word. Talked about the vile passions and the behaviors they would walk in. And there's a tendency to leave that first week and go, man, it's a good thing I don't do any of those things in chapter 1, right? But then chapter 2 comes and it says, but then there's the generic moralist. The person that says, well, I can judge everything because I do good things. I have this law and I believe in my own self-righteousness that I have attained this thing. And Paul says, no, you're guilty because you don't keep the whole law that you use to judge people, right? We talked about this. We will pick out the worst person that we can possibly identify and make them the bar for our righteousness, right? We'll say, look at that person. I'm so much better than them. You don't pick the holiest person you know to do that, right? We're wicked like that. What we do is we pick the worst and go, that's the bar, right? I'm doing great. Paul says, no, you have to keep the whole thing. If that's how you're going to get your righteousness anyhow. And then he moved to the Jew and said, well, you guys think you're better than everyone else, right? You're better than the moralist. You're better than the pagan because you're the Jew, right? You have the word of God. You have it. He says, but here's the problem. You've been hypocrites. You had the law, but you don't live by the law. Think about it when the Lord told, I believe it was to Isaiah, he said, these people, their lips are near me, but their hearts are so far from me. They say that they know the Lord. They say they belong to him, but they don't do anything that his word called them to do. We read the book of Micah and Malachi. Malachi, especially, as we read this, we see the corruption that came in to the, the religion that, of the, the Jews as they started to cheat the people. They cheated God. They did all the things they weren't supposed to. And see, all of the goal of those first two chapters was Paul eliminating one group after another to say, you are a sinner. <laughs> Welcome to church this morning. You and I are all sinners. Amen? <laughs> this is the purpose of the Word of God. Two things. To reveal who God is. But can I tell you what happens when we find out who God is? We find out that we are sinners. <laughs> He is holy. He is just. He is righteous. We are depraved. And if we walked away, honestly, at the middle of chapter 3, you're going to see, if we walked out of here and said, okay, this book ends at chapter 3, verse 20, we would walk out of here going, man, we are absolutely defeated. There is nothing that we can do. Religiosity in itself ordinances of religion, works, good works, being a, a complete pagan and trying to be your own God, none of those things will save you. But I love it because right in the middle of this chapter, verse 21, we're going to have this change where it says, but here's the good news. The righteousness of God has been revealed through Jesus Christ. Amen? So if you've been with us the last couple weeks, you're like, man, this has been nothing but bad news. This is how you get the good news. Amen? <laughs> You can't have the good news without the bad news. What are we being saved from? We're being saved from the wrath of God that is due for our sins. So again, look at Romans 3. We're going to jump right into this verse 1 and 2. It says, What advantage then has the Jew? Or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. I want to pause it there because we say, what is the context here? What are we talking about? Last week, when Paul finished up chapter 2, what he was saying, he's saying those that are Jews outwardly, just because they are Jews by their heritage or by their practices, those things in themselves will not grant righteousness before God. We talked about it last week. Your church going does not give you righteousness before God. Amen? Your service in the church does not give you righteousness before God. Your works don't do that. Faith and trust in the completed work of Jesus Christ alone grants us righteousness before God and gives salvation. Amen? And see, right off the bat, though, you, if he's talking to Jews, he's now playing this game where he says, I know what the next question is going to be, right? Then what profit is it that we are Jews? 
I thought we were like God's chosen people. Aren't we better than everyone else? Don't we get a little bit more like extra credit or something, right? Paul says, look it, I'll tell you, there is a profit. There is an advantage. You know what it is? You're God's chosen people. Think about the advantage that when God told Abraham, out of you, I'm going to bring forth a nation. And it's going to be a blessing to all the ends of the earth. Those who bless it, I will bless. Those who curse it, I will curse. What a great advantage, amen? But more than that, he didn't just tell them they're chosen people. He gave them the revelation of who he is by giving them the very oracles of God. What those are, the scriptures of the Old Testament. The scriptures, his word, it tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17, Paul will talk about that. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says that all scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for correction, right? For a teaching. It's for the training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. What would we do here this morning without the Word of God? <laughs> Could you imagine your life as a believer without the guidance of the Word of God? Isn't it such a benefit to open up the Word every day and that the Lord speaks to you through it? He reveals who He is and calls you to walk in it? That is a huge advantage, right? Here's the deal on this. He says, this is the chief advantage is that they have the Word of God. Can I tell you what we have as the church? <laughs> the Word of God. This is why it's so important that what we do here on Sundays is we crack open the Bible. God forbid you get my opinion on this world and in this life. <laughs> you need the voice of the Lord speaking through His Word through the power of His Spirit, right? And as we're here doing this, I know this happens. The Holy Spirit works in your heart, and I love it because I'll get texts during the week, and someone says, this thing that you taught, talk to me about this thing. I'm like, wow, that's cool. I didn't even talk about that, right? <laughs> Someone else texts me about a whole different thing on the same section of Scripture. The Holy Spirit is personally working in every one of you as you commit your heart to the Word of God. Amen? It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the Word. And the fact is, it was given to him. He says, what a great advantage you guys have. You've been given this to be custodians of it. We know that we're blessed by the Jewish people. There is no room for anti-Semitism because without the Jewish people, we don't have the Word of God sustained. I mean, God would have His ways, amen? But He used the Jewish people. They kept it. They sustained it. The scribes, right? The Levites, these people concentrated on how to save the Word and maintain it to give it out to other nations. And not to mention, God still has a plan for Israel, amen? And so he says, you guys are blessed to be Jews. There's a great blessing in that. But look at what happens in verse 3 and 4. It says, For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true and every man a liar. As it is written, and he quotes Psalm 51.4, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. What happens in verse 3 is Paul's playing devil's advocate here. He says, hey, you guys were blessed because you received the word of God, right? Well, someone might say, but yeah, but our people didn't actually shoulder the burden completely because many of them, A, broke all of the things the Lord said. Again, go read the book of Malachi. See how it winds up. The second time they're back in the land, the Lord has been so gracious, so merciful, and they're still walking in disobedience to the Word of God. So there's this reality that they didn't honor the Word of God. But secondly, and more importantly, when Jesus Christ came and He said, I am the fulfillment of the law. I have not come to abolish it. I am the fulfillment of it. All of the prophets, all of the law point to me, Jesus says. Many of the Jews, most of the Jews, refused to trust in Jesus Christ. They handled the law all the time. They handled the Word of God all the time. But they didn't put their faith in Jesus Christ. That's the very purpose for the word to exist, amen? That we would come to know who God is and understand that there is one true God and he sent his son, God the son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place. And because he fulfilled the law, we don't need to fulfill anything. And we trust in the completed work of Jesus Christ. But many rejected Jesus Christ and in that they essentially didn't believe in anything that they said they did. Do you know Christians like this? 
Maybe you've been a Christian like this. I know I have at times. I will say, the Word of God is important. It's crucial. It's the most important thing. And then I walk in opposition to it at times. Paul's going to talk about this in Romans 7 and 8, right? The idea that, man, I want to walk this thing out, but I fail to do so. There's this idea of, man, are you really trusting it? Are you, are you practicing it? For the Jews, it would be, no, they weren't because they didn't have faith in it in the sense of trusting in Jesus. And see what Paul says here. He says, does that mean that God somehow, because these men did not believe, does that make the faithfulness of God without effect? I love it. The answer is no. If no man ever again or ever in history accepted the true word of God, guess who's still true? God. Amen? This world right now is giving us all kinds of things, and I have to be careful, this could turn into opinion here, so I'm going to back off a little bit, right? So much false truth right now. I saw a video the other day of a woman, I, know, I think she's a politician, maybe you guys saw this. She says that the six-week heartbeat in a baby is a man-created thing that's not true. What? How is this possible in this age of science that we've changed everything that we believe? It's because we don't want accountability. It's because we don't want to respond to the fact that there is a maker and creator of that life. Amen? Every time we try to change the truth, it's not because God is unfaithful. It's because we're unfaithful. If we took the truth of God's word and applied it to everything, it will prove to be absolutely correct. But we get involved. <laughs> we're unfaithful. We don't carry these things out. And we see, man, we're wicked, right? It says in Jeremiah 17, 9, man, the heart is deceitful. Desperately wicked. Who can know it? And I think about that. So many people tell you, hey, just follow your heart. That's the worst advice ever, by the way. <laughs> your heart's wicked. My heart's wicked. I only know this because you're like me, right? My heart's wicked. My heart sees things. It covets things. My heart is an idol factory. I need to make sure I am bringing all of those things back to the feet of Jesus daily. Amen? How do I do that? I get back into his word. I treat his word as truth. I continue in my faith and trusting in Christ alone. And it's funny. Every time man is unfaithful, it actually serves to, to show us that God is the only faithful one. Amen? He's the only righteous one. This is the difference between us and the world. It's not that we walk in perfection. It's when we fail, we respond like David did in Psalm 51.4. He says, I messed up. You're right. You stand to judge because you are holy and just. I'm the one that made the mistake, not you, God. <laughs> David was a man after God's own heart, right? Was David perfect? No, far from it, right? But man, David was always quick <laughs> to repent. I mean, read Psalm 51. Lord, purge me, wash me with hyssop, give me your spirit, don't take your spirit from me. He says, create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me. Those are the words of a man that has sinned and messed up. But he also acknowledges, it's not like I, I, I expect this from you. I deserve death for this sin. But I'm coming to you because yes, you are just, yes, you are holy, yes, you are right, but you are merciful and gracious, amen? And as we acknowledge all the fact that we're sinners this morning, isn't it so wonderful that Jesus said in Luke 19.10, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. He said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. The first step in acknowledging that you need a Savior is realizing that you have sinned. Amen? The law serves to show us that we are sinners. And in this section... He says in, in verse 3 and 4 again, what he's saying is, if you think your, your unfaithfulness changes God's faithfulness, it doesn't. But look what he says in 5 and 6. It says, but if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not. For then, how will God judge the world? So what Paul's doing now, playing devil's advocate again, he says, look, the reality is when man is unfaithful and unrighteous, it actually makes God clearly righteous, right? We know that he is the Holy One. He is right. In comparison, we see how much better God is than us. Do we understand that? Some might take that and say, well, then how is God going to judge me? Because didn't I just benefit God? Because I made him look holier. I made him look righteous. I made him look good. 
You might hear that and think, what a ridiculous logic. Can I tell you? <laughs> I think we've all been here, right? Excuses for our sin. Oh, it's actually okay. This is God's fault that I've sinned, and He's going to use it for His glory, so it's totally okay. I'll just keep doing this, as a matter of fact, right? You might think that doesn't happen. I've been there so many times in environments of Christianity where that's kind of the way life goes. Oh, Christ died for sin. It's okay. Just keep doing it. And you may not say it that way. I think I kind of said it that way sometimes back in the day before I came to the Lord in sincerity. But I had to share with you, I went to a Christian university in California. It's become very liberal since I've been there. It was liberal when I was there. And their thoughts were things like, you can't say that God is a he in Scripture. You don't say that in my class. You're going to refer to God as a female in our class, right? This is, and their slogan was God first, by the way. They were supposed to be a Bible teaching school. And in this class, you've got to refer to God in the female, in the female gender and whatnot. And that way it opens our minds up to these things. And a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump, amen? What that starts to do is, well, if, if God's not really a man, like it says in here, he's beyond any kind of, you know, he, she identification, then how do I know that I have to flee my sin? Maybe that's not true either, right? Maybe his cross did pay for all my sins, and as I go and sin, it actually makes the cross somehow more powerful. Do you see how sick this is? <laughs> Can I tell you this is a very real problem, though? And I'm not just talking about, I'm not talking about in the world. I'm talking about in the church. That, man, this isn't totally inerrant. It's not totally perfect. We can be loose on these things. Let's change the meanings of these things. You start changing some of it, you're going to change all of it because we're wicked. <laughs> Let God be true. We're liars. <laughs> but can I tell you what's so good about this? He gives us his Holy Spirit <laughs> so that there's hope because you and I are incapable on our own strengths. <laughs> We're going to fall into making excuses for our sin day after day without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into our life. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says we become a temple of the living God. And according to Galatians 5, I believe it is, 5.22 and 23, it says the fruit of the Spirit comes out of your life. You have love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, long-suffering, gentleness, and self-control. Things that you never, ever walked in in the past. But when you trust in the Lord, He equips you so that you can glorify Him. And how do you feed that Spirit according to Romans 8? You set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Do you know where the things of the Spirit are found? <laughs> in the Word of God. Amen? Amen? We can't go tweaking the very thing that feeds the Spirit because we're going to get ourselves in all kinds of trouble. But in this case, these people would say, well, this is a good thing for us to keep doing this. And I love what Paul says in verse, in verse 5. He says, I'm speaking like a man right now. <laughs> This is the logic of a natural, fleshly, carnal man. I'm not giving you a real example. Don't quote this verse as Paul being filled with the Spirit, like, oh, Paul said we should do this, right? Paul's giving an example of what the lost and carnal man thinks. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says the carnal man does not know the things of God. He can't know them. They're foolishness to him because they're spiritually discerned. How do we get the Holy Spirit? You trust in Jesus Christ, amen? You trust in Jesus through the revelation of His Word, you will be filled with the Spirit and you will walk out the things that you're called to walk out. And it's awesome. You don't continue in your sin. You don't continue being comfortable in your sin. But Paul takes it just a little bit further here. Look at verse 7 and 8. He says, For if the, if the truth of God has increased through my lie or my sin to His glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come, as we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say. Their condemnation is just. <laughs> what Paul says here is, he says, okay, you might say, well, hey, my unrighteousness serves to make God look righteous. That's what was established in verse 5 and 6. He says, no, that's not a good thing. He goes, let's go further. What if you continue with this idea? You wind up in the spot like I just talked about, where you begin to think, the more we sin, the more grace abounds. As we study Romans, Romans chapter 6 in particular, Paul's going to go in depth with an argument against that philosophy. He's going to say, should we continue in sin? He says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin, because we trusted in Jesus Christ, live any longer in it? You guys know how this goes, because I know this life. When I sin, when I fall short of the glory of God, the Holy Spirit's there to convict me. You guys know this, right? As believers in Jesus Christ... As you're getting convicted, you're like, man, this doesn't feel right. <laughs> I'm being called out. That didn't happen in the world that way. 
Yes, the Holy Spirit was outside convicting you that what you were doing was problematic in general because you were living apart from the Word of God, but you were good and comfortable in your sin, right? You come to the Lord and you're like, man, this doesn't work the same anymore. Why is this? Because we shouldn't be in those things anymore. Are we saved by those things? Absolutely not. <laughs> we're saved by trusting in Jesus Christ. Amen? But isn't there a response? Someone call it a responsibility <laughs> to now walk out and glorify God with our lives as these vessels that are filled with the gospel? To try to be as faithful in responding to His sacrifice. The goal is not to continue in sin and do this hoping that grace abounds. No, turn from it. And he says, man, some are slanderously reporting that that's what we're teaching, Paul says. Could you imagine someone accusing Paul? They're like, oh, he tells people to go out and sin. <laughs> Have you gotten that at all from this section of Scripture yet? <laughs> He's been calling out every sin under the sun. <laughs> but it's so interesting. When people are convicted by the truth of God, they'll twist it. They'll twist what was given. They'll do anything they can to either attack the person sharing it or try to discredit the message thereof. Oh, it's been translated over thousands of years. You know that, right? It's not true anymore, right? You're like, okay, go out and practice that sin and see what comes out of that. You find out quickly this is true still. It's, it's absolutely destructive to walk in the things opposed to the Word of God, right? He magnifies His Word above all His name. It says in, I believe, Psalm 143, 2. And the reality is, if he magnifies his word above his name, that means he says, this is going to be true always. What that means is God can't just let you go out and live in absolute sin and not be judged for it. Otherwise, he's lying. Otherwise, he hasn't told the truth. There's going to be consequences on this earth that turn us to the Lord, I believe, that make us go, man, this is problematic. And the reality is, even if man, in his unfaithfulness, says, I don't care, I'm living this way, every tongue will confess Jesus and every knee will bow at his judgment. That's a terrifying idea. But it's what it says in the Word of God. But here's the good news. We're going to get there soon. Trust me. Jesus Christ came to take away the sins of the world. Amen? Man, otherwise we'd all be condemned. We'd all be dead in the water without rights. But Jesus in His goodness, He came. But those that teach things like this, those that believe things like this, that, hey, just keep sinning. It's cool. Grace abounds. Paul says, man, their condemnation is just. What that means is it's right for God to judge such people that are going to continue in such thing. Why is that just? Because God is holy. God is right. God is true. And see, if God is good, doesn't God have to judge? <laughs> Think about it. We watch cases on TV about a guy that's blatantly guilty for murder. <laughs> what do we say? That guy should be killed for that. That guy should go to jail for that. We know in our wickedness what is right and needs to be judged. Amen? God is perfectly holy. How can He not judge sin? Who are we to judge it? God is so much bigger, perfect, holy. He's going to deal with all sin. And those that refuse the true gospel of Jesus Christ, there is condemnation that waits. But the good news is today is the day of salvation for those who hear this and put their trust in the work of Jesus Christ. Amen? Look at as we continue here. We've seen now that all stand to be judged. But now Paul is really going to drive home. It's a heavy few verses, but he says, all have sinned. Look at verse 9. It says, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. Now in this verse, I want to pause for a minute because some people say, well, who's the we that Paul's talking about? It says, are we better than they? Based on verses 1 through 8, you can take away two things. You could say, well, is the we the believers in Rome? Or is we the Jew? Because he's been talking to the Jews, right? Paul himself was a Jew by heritage. He was once a practicing Jew. He came to Jesus Christ and he called himself the Hebrew of Hebrews, right? There's a reality that I believe that applies to both. Is anyone better than anyone else before the standing of God or if you don't have Jesus Christ? Answer is no, right? There's no partiality with God. Paul already said that in the last chapter, right? The reality is, if you're a Jew and you say, well, aren't we better? Paul would say, no. The believer in Rome would say, generally speaking, in our sin nature, aren't we better than them then? No, not in your sin nature. What about the church apart from Jesus Christ? Aren't we all good for just showing up to church? Isn't that enough? No. <laughs> you must trust in the completed work of Jesus Christ. He says, we've already charged both Jews and Greeks or Gentiles, everyone, that they are all under sin. 
The word under in the Greek is this word hypo. It means to be in bondage and enslaved to sin. The weight of it is upon you to where you cannot escape it. You remember this in the world, right? You maybe tried to kick all those bad habits in your own strengths. Maybe you were successful at some. But you know that that sin nature, man, you couldn't get rid of it. <laughs> You're fighting it. It's like an absolute slave master. You have to appease it. It's the only way to get out of temptation is to appease the thing that's upon you. And it says here that all man is under sin. You're also under the judgment that's coming for sin. It says in Galatians 3.22, The scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So we're told that the word of God actually serves to accuse us as sinners. <laughs> Another message of the Bible that a lot of people don't like to talk about on Sunday mornings, right? I can bet you, this isn't me thinking I'm better than anyone, but let's be real. You go out to a church right now, you could probably find a church, several, probably in this city, that are not telling people they're sinners this morning. You're probably going to find people telling them, hey, you guys are just fine the way you are because you showed up. It's a TED talk, right? They try to encourage you on how to be a better dad or husband or something on Sunday morning. That's great. But if you walk out not knowing that you need a Savior, that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to deal with the fact daily, man, I need the blood of Jesus to take away the sin in my life. I need the Lord Jesus. There's nothing else. Everyone is guilty. But look at what he does in 10 through 18. You might say, okay, James, maybe you think everyone's bad. Maybe Paul thinks everyone is bad. But who said this? Well, it turns out the Word of God said this. Look at verse 10. It says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You're like, again, welcome to church. What a fun passage this morning, right? <laughs> You're like, dude, this is so heavy. Remember, it's coming, okay? We're a couple verses away from the really awesome, great, good news. But in this section, it's wild because you'd be like, who is this pessimist that's writing this whole thing? Who's this grumpy person? It's the Word of God. It's true, amen? We don't like it because it convicts us. <laughs> We read that the first three verses, verses 11 and, I'm sorry, yeah, 10 through 12, is a direct quote of Psalm 14, 1 through 3. The idea that there's no one righteous. When you're born, it's so interesting. Let me ask you this. Parents in the room, did you have to teach your kids to do badly? Come on. My kids will find a way to stick like fries in a DVD player, right? I'm like, how, dude? That doesn't even make sense, right? And they're doing these things. Like, That's a terrible idea. That's wicked, dude. Like, that doesn't work on so many levels. It's problems for dad now, right? And then as you raise them, you have to teach them not to lie, right? My, some of my kids, it's funny, I had two boys. My one boy, he's got this conviction of like, he will never tell a lie, right? He's like, honest Abe, right? I got another boy. I'm not going to give names, okay? Because I don't want you seeing him around here. But one of them has a little tendency to be a little bit of a liar sometimes. And you know what? It drives me crazy because that's so me before the Lord. I was a liar, right? And I see him and I'm like, please don't be like this. Who I've done everything in my power to try to teach you not to be like that. And he does it. And it's like, you would say, well, this is like second nature. No, it's sin nature. <laughs> this is what it is. We have to train and teach people not to do wickedness. Psalm already told us this. Psalm 14, 1 through 3. There's no one that does good. <laughs> they walk up opposed to the Lord. They turn away from His things. But then Paul quotes Psalm 5, 9 in verse 13. He says, their throat is an open tomb. Speaking of death, death comes out of their mouth, out of their words. Their tongues, they have practiced deceit, so they're lying again. And then Psalm 140, verse 3 finishes off verse 13. It says, the poison of asp is under their lips. So think about this. This is the idea that as they talk, they're murdering people with their mouth. There's death in their words. You might say, oh, James, that's a little absurd. Really, can words kill? It's interesting. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 21 and 22, those who have the intent of murder in their heart... 
that say to their brother, Raka, like fool. They are in jeopardy. They are in danger of receiving the same judgment as a murderer. We look at that and we're like, that's so drastic, right? We think about, he goes on to say adultery. You may not commit physical adultery, but when you've done it in your heart, it's the same thing to the Lord. Man, that sets the bar really high, right? We talked about setting the bar low earlier. God sets the bar really high. Shows that all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short. He says their mouth, they have poison of asp, of snakes or vipers under their lips. They got venom in their mouth, right? Everything they're saying is destructive. It's damaging. So think about the book of James. I think it's chapter 3 that talks about controlling and taming the tongue. Is there not a more challenging chapter for us as believers, I think? Because we can check off all the other sins and be like, I don't do those anymore. But man, this tongue, it doesn't stop. It says crazy things. I'm like, don't say it, don't say it. And it comes out. And I'm like, ah, right? Bring that back. You can't. But it's wild. It says, how can you tame it? Through the power of the Spirit. This comes back to trusting in Jesus Christ. Amen? Everything that we do good, I told someone recently, anything good we're doing as a church, let's give that to the Lord. Anything that goes wrong, you can just put that on me and the rest of us, right? Like that's man messing things up. The good things, those belong to God. <laughs> if man gets involved, it always gets wicked. It always gets messed up. Unless we are a new creation filled with His Spirit. Then we're vessels filled with the Lord doing the Lord's work, amen? But it says in this section that in verse 15 through 17, he quotes Isaiah 59, 7 through 8. He says, Their feet are swift to shed blood. So in other words, they love to go out and be murderous. Their destruction and misery are in their pathways. The way of peace they have not known. That verse right there strikes me right in the heart. <laughs> do you remember how much you tried to do? I pray we don't do this anymore as believers, but in the world, anything I could do to put myself over to advance myself, to exalt myself. I would do anything I could to get ahead, so to speak. That's the whole like MO of this world, right? Is to anything you can do, cheat, lie, steal, whatever it is, go ahead, it'll advance you. Maybe you'll make it to the White House. I'm just kidding, but you know what I mean. Like, the reality is, you can do these things. It's okay. It's like acceptable to do these things. And in this case, it says, well, they don't know peace. They've been told by the world that this is how you get peace. Get things. Put people underneath you. Get all the things that you desire, anything your heart wants, get those things, and then you'll be good. You don't know peace. If you know Jesus, you know peace. If you got no Jesus, you got no peace, amen? <laughs> you gotta know who the Lord is to know true peace, and I think it's interesting. It says in this case that they don't know peace. It says in Isaiah 57, 21, there is no peace for the wicked. But Romans 5, 1 tells us that we have peace with God through who? Jesus Christ. <laughs> How do we get peace? Not by our works. Through trusting in Jesus Christ. Are you seeing a theme here? Verse by verse. Everything comes back to trusting in Jesus. Amen? Amen. This is not a legalistic, works-based thing we're in. This is we are saved by grace through faith. Amen? Look at this last verse here. He quotes Psalm 36, 1 in verse 18. He says, There is no fear of God before their eyes. I think that just explains everyone's sin nature. <laughs> Do you know when we get in trouble with sin? It's when we stop fearing who God is. <laughs> we stop revering God as God and we believe that we are God and we do what we feel like. I mean, this is, in, in essence, why anyone sins. They believe that they're not going to have any consequence for it because there's no God that's going to judge them. And it's weird. We might say, well, that's the world. That's us when we give in to sin. We've taken God off the throne. We've put ourselves on that throne. We believe that we can call the shots, we can do this, and we'll be fine. It says, no, there's no fear of God in our eyes. We need to repent of those moments. When we start to think that God's long-suffering towards our sin is His tolerance, or God forbid, His approval of our sin. I don't know who needs to hear that this morning. Bless you. I don't know who needs this this morning, but man, there are times when we will make excuses for our sin by saying, well, God hasn't judged me for it yet. That is a scary game to play. <laughs> Not only will the consequences eventually eat you up, but man, you do not want to keep your account in a place where God has something on your record where you're not trusting Him as God. Take your sin to Him today. Jesus died for that sin, amen? Through the Spirit that rose Jesus from the grave, the same Spirit is in us to deliver us from that sin. We love to make excuses to stay in it. Run from those things. Flee those things, as Paul wrote to Timothy. Look at 19 and 20. It says... Now we know that whatever the law says, 
it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. In those two verses, what Paul is concluding, basically this whole section from chapter 1, verse 18, to this point here, he says, what has been the purpose of the law? He says, it's actually to shut the mouth of anyone that would boast. <laughs> How many people want to go, oh, dude, I did this good thing. I'm doing this. I'm actively doing this good work. I'm doing this thing. We, get, we can be guilty of that too, right? When we start trusting in our works and our service and our church attendance. He says, no, the law exists to show us you may be doing this thing okay, but you are absolutely failing in this thing over here. And as you do that, you can't boast in any of it. You're a sinner. All you can boast is that you brought sin to the party, right? What did we do in Jesus' sacrifice upon the cross? We brought the sin that he had to die for. It's our sin that put him upon the cross. It's his love that held him upon the cross. And man, the reality is if we start to think we can fulfill the law, that we can do enough good things, that we can bounce up karma, right? This is a rule that a lot of people like to use. Well, I did those bad things. I'll just do some good things. If I party on Saturday, I'll go to church on Sunday, right? No, <laughs> you're guilty. But it says here, no flesh will be justified in his sight by the law. Because by the law comes knowledge of sin. The law is so perfect, it is so holy, it is so right, that it convicts every sinner on some level. The response should be, man, whoever wrote this is absolutely holy. <laughs> Could you imagine if Moses himself, just a man apart from God, wrote the law? It would be a lot more loose, right? Because he would probably consider his own sin. He's like, well, those things are sins, but not that thing. I'm going to let that be not on the record, right? I don't want that included in the law. God says, no, let me give you all of these things. <laughs> You're like, man, who's able to keep this? It says no one. No one can keep this. The gospel of legalism, first of all, it's not a gospel because it's not good news. <laughs> if anyone tells you you've got to do good works to enter into heaven, that's not correct. Talk to the thief on the cross next to Jesus who said, I believe in you. What did he say? You'll be with me after you get off the cross and do a bunch of good works, right? No, he said, you'll be with me today in paradise, amen? That's so important to us. Without that example... We might get caught up in the idea that you have to do all these things. But can I tell you something important? That thief was busy dying on a cross physically. We still have breath in our lungs. <laughs> we need to respond and say, I believe in you. And he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Right? You will come to be with me. But I'm busy living. Who am I living for now? I need to be dying to self and living for Jesus Christ every day. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, those who desire to come after me, they need to take up their cross daily and follow me. <laughs> Man, talk about a wild statement. Pick up your uh, electric chair and bring it with you today and die to yourself. You're like, that's a graphic statement, right? That's what Jesus said to do with the crucifix, the cross. Take that every day. But man, know that when you lose your life for his sake, you will find it. Amen? <laughs> you will be saved. You try to keep your life. You try to do your things. You try to be God. You cannot be saved in those things because you're trusting in yourself. And no one is righteous apart from Jesus Christ. And so if we ended it right there, we'd be like, man, we're just a bunch of failures. <laughs> what do we do with ourselves? There's, why am I even trying? This is miserable, right? <laughs> I love verse 21. Look where this happens, 21 through 23. It says, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. <laughs> Amen. I am so glad that after the last three chapters of him revealing the wrath of God that belongs to us, that is going to be given to us, that we're storing up for ourselves, he says, you know what else is being revealed? The righteousness of God. And it's not just the righteousness of God and how right he is and how good he is, but his very righteousness is available to be given apart from the law. Think about this. You say, well, it's apart from the law. Does that mean it's contrary to the law? No. What this means is that it was testified in the law that God was always holy, amen? The prophets and the laws, they always spoke of Jesus. Peter said in Acts 10, 43, of Jesus, all the prophets witnessed that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. 
So it's not that it's unattached to the law, but it's the fact that you can't be saved by the law. Amen? You must be saved by faith in Jesus Christ. It says in verse 22, the righteousness of God is ours through faith in Christ. And you say, cool, that's just to the super elite Christian, right? The top-notch best Christian. It says, it is to all, it is upon all who believe. There's no difference. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, I think, right? The world loves the word inclusivity right now. They love the idea, everyone, let's include everyone, let's include everyone. I love it because the gospel says, have you sinned? The gospel's available to you. <laughs> have all men sinned? Yes. Is the gospel available to all men? Yes. Now, will all men accept it? No. In that, there is an exclusivity to how do we get to heaven. You must trust in Jesus Christ. The way, the truth, the life, no one comes to God the Father except through him. Jesus said that himself, John 14, 6. But it's available to all. Anyone that will not exclude them can be included. <laughs> But people hear this and they say, that's insane. That's ridiculous. All you have to do is believe upon Jesus? Well, yes. But can I tell you what happens when you believe upon Jesus? You become born again, as Jesus said in John 3.3. 3. You receive the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of the living God, and dwells in you. And you become a new creation, as 2 Corinthians 5.17 talks about. And yes, it is received by grace through faith. Is grace, if grace is the water, faith is the hose that gets you the water, right? People will say things, I'm saved by faith. Well, what are you believing in? That's not a good thing to be saved by faith, right? You got to be saved by faith in the grace of God, amen? People have faith in all kinds of things they believe are saving them. Unless it is in the grace of God that brought us the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, we stand to be condemned. But it's available to anyone doesn't matter what race, what ethnicity, what education level, what, if you're in California or Texas, it doesn't matter where you're at. You need to put your trust in Jesus Christ. It says, why? Because all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. It's interesting. It says that the righteousness of God will not just be given to them as in a rendering, but it's going to be put on them. <laughs> What a cool thing that God says, here's the righteousness. You get to put it on. It would be the same word you would use in the Greek to talk about putting on a robe or a crown. Put that thing on and walk it out. <laughs> Romans 13, 14 says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desire. We're told to put on the armor of God in Ephesians 6, right? Action. There's something to do with this. In this case, as we put this on, we receive his very righteousness. I love this because it reminds me of the prodigal son in Luke 14, 15, or I'm sorry, 15, 22. Remember when the son came home, he thought, man, dad's going to be so angry with me. <laughs> He's not, I'm just going to beg that I can just be the lowest servant in all places, right? And when he comes up, what does he tell him? He says, oh man, get my best robe, <laughs> get my best ring, get my best sandals, put them on this guy. He's mine, <laughs> This is what it should be when we realize, man, I am just wicked. But Lord, I'm going to come and whatever mercy you have for me, I'll take it. Whatever grace you have for me. And he says, I'm going to give you my very righteousness. Like a robe, like a ring, like sandals. I'm going to put them on you and you get to walk it out. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. Did we do anything to earn that? No. Look at how we get it. Look at 20, uh, 24 through 26. We're almost done. It says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. <laughs> So if we're told in 21 and 23 what the, that the gospel has been revealed and it's available to all, we say, well, how did we get this gospel? How did we get this righteousness of God, we would say? It says in verse 24, we've been justified. That's a legal term that means declared righteous. <laughs> what business do we have being declared righteous before God, the one that wrote the holy law, right? He says, he has done this. And how did he do it? He did it freely. <laughs> now, we know it costs a great price, Amen. But you and I didn't pay that price. Jesus Christ paid that price for us. 
And see, when it says that it was freely given by His grace, it seems superfluous to say freely grace. It shows us it's completely unmerited. It's the goodness of God giving away to spare us from the wrath of God. He saved, he saved us from His wrath through the giving of His Son because of His great love for us. Man, that is wild. <laughs> we don't deserve this, amen? But God in His goodness says, those who put their faith in my grace, they will receive it because it says that Jesus was a propitiation. What in the world does that word mean? An atoning sacrifice. Think about how in the Old Testament there were constantly animal sacrifices. We look at that and we go, that's so weird, right? Like, I'm glad we don't have to do that anymore. That would be gnarly, right? But it always pointed to blood needed to be shed to cover sins. And it really pointed to the true Lamb of God that was coming. John the Baptist said in John 1.29, that Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, He is here. He is Jesus Christ. He's not just going to cover your sin anymore. He's going to take it away as far as the east is from the west, according to Psalm 103.12. And when He came and He did this, it was by the shedding of His blood. That was the token. That was the thing that was given, that He would redeem us. To be redeemed is to be purchased from like slavery. <laughs> what were we under the law? We were enslaved to sin. But in Jesus, we have been redeemed from the sin that brought us the wages of death. Amen? Thank the Lord for Jesus' obedience to set His face to the cross and go for the joy that was set before Him. Hebrews 12, 2 talks about this, the fact that he said, I'm going to go so that all of these people can be saved. He willingly died in our place. He was the perfect sacrifice to do so. It says in, at, at this event, it says that through faith, to, I'm sorry, to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at that present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That's a kind of a crazy sentence at first glance, right? When we look at this, we say, what does this mean? People may have been thinking all those years, well, the animal sacrifices, they're covering sin, right? So sin's still intact, they're just covered. Is God being like tolerant of sin? Maybe he just tolerates sin as long as we just cover it up a little bit. Remember, Adam and Eve tried that in the garden, right? They tried to cover their nakedness. God said, what are you doing, right? I see that. I see your sin. How's it going to get dealt with? Those were almost like promissory notes that said one day it's going to be taken away by the true ultimate sacrifice. And if anyone thought that God was not right because he was letting people have sin intact under the covering of animals' and blood, at this point... When Jesus came, it said, no, God has been righteous this whole time. He just dealt with every sin, past, current, and future. Amen? And in that, he's totally just. God deals with sin. God has judged sin because Jesus absorbed the wrath that was due to us. So the wrath went out. It's been judged through Jesus Christ. It awaits those who do not trust in Jesus Christ. But in that, his mercy and grace are intact because not only was he just... He became the justifier of those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. Who do we have to thank for our salvation? Our works? No. Our, our good efforts? No. The justifier is God who did it through the completed work of Jesus Christ. Amen? It sounds repetitive, but can I tell you, this is the core. We're talking about salvation 101 in Romans, this study through Romans. This is so important. You might walk out of here. If we ended right there, you would say, cool, so I don't have to do anything, right? I can live how I want. Here's how we conclude. Look at 27 to 31. It says, where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. <laughs> Basically, Paul does this thing again where he plays devil's advocate. He says, okay, so you're thinking, all right, cool. What are we going to boast in? There's nothing to boast in anymore. None of us can say, man, I got to heaven because of what I did. 
The law convicts us as sinners and says we deserve the wages of sin, which is death, eternity, and hell. But Jesus, as we put our trust in him, we have nothing to boast in because it's been ours by faith. We didn't do anything to receive it. We put our trust in him. It says that a man is justified by faith apart from the law, whether he is a Gentile or a Jew. All men are not judged on their works. They're judged on their faith. Is there faith in the grace of God that was shown through the completed work of Jesus Christ? And see, this scares some people because they say, well, wait a minute. <laughs> I've, I've stood in these conversations. They say, you're telling me that you just have to believe upon Jesus to be saved? Isn't that a dangerous doctrine? Won't everyone just live poorly? I'm like, well, you have to teach the whole counsel of God, right? <laughs> teach the whole thing. You're going to read through the rest of the New Testament. You're going to see that we are called to live as a people that have been redeemed out of sin. Not to stay in it anymore, amen? We have been purified by the blood of Jesus and he says, I've purified you so that you would be zealous for good works. Can I tell you what the law did? The law said, thou shalt not. But in Jesus Christ, the Spirit tells us, thou shalt. Man, we used to be so worried about what we are not supposed to do. Now in Jesus, man, as you walk out the fruit of the Spirit, can I tell you what ends up happening? You honor the law. As you're busy loving your neighbor as yourself... You're not murdering them. <laughs> as you're busy loving your neighbor as yourself, you're also not going to covet their wife and lie to them and bear false witness. You're going to honor your parents. The commandments will be filled as you trust in Jesus Christ alone because you have no other gods before him. Amen? Isn't the law established in two ways through our faith? First of all, it's established because it proves that man, it did its job. We've put our trust in Jesus because the law showed us that we are sinners needing a Savior. Amen? This, the law is still very needed to show us that we're wicked. The word of God is needed. But secondly, as we go out and acknowledge that we have been saved from the law, we don't need to do these things. But man, God has called us. I think about Matthew 5, 5 16. It says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Amen? Coming to the Lord should not look the same as before we came to the Lord. <laughs> Now, we're saved not by those works. We're saved by grace through faith. Amen? I got to end on that note for you. But man, go out here today knowing this, that Jesus paid it all. <laughs> he absorbed the wrath of our sins. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, I believe it is, it says that we have not been appointed to obtain wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ. Amen? Wrath has been paid for because of the work of Jesus Christ, not because of our works. But man... Jesus says, man, I want to present a bride that is holy and pure. The church, the bride, man, we got to look like this. <laughs> and again, it's not, our it's not our salvation on the line. We're just talking about that witness. Talking about being the bride. Man, it's such a blessing. Obedience is the joy of the believer. Amen? Spares us from the consequences of sin. Spares us from falling back into things we finally got delivered from. And can I just tell you, it's a shining bright example to the world that needs a witness that Jesus is alive working in you and I. Amen? Man, let's continue to go out and be the church. Let's go out and be the body to the power of His Spirit because of His grace that we did not earn. Amen? It's because of what Jesus did. Let's pray.